You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be... Oh my god, this Christmas party is so festive. Everyone showed up. Yeah, Jackie, uh, we're the only two employees. Yeah, but still, we have ambrosia salad. Yeah, you brought it. And I made two tens. <laughs> oh, hello there. Welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast, coming to you live from the TCQ video store, where you can pick up the best and worst in holiday horror for only 69 cents a day. Welcome in, fellow queerdos. My stripper name is the Sugar Plum Fairy, and I'm here to deck your halls. My name is Nick. <laughs> yes! Where are my dollar bills at? Ah. Someone's got to pay for these Christmas presents. <laughs> And I'm something chronic and just a little bit demonic. My name's Raymond. <laughs> Hello, everybody. The time has come to end our holiday party with our sleigh bells month. Aww. I know, I know everybody, so sad. But do not fret our dear listeners. We have one of the best Christmas horror films to end with. But before we can do any of that, we would love for you to leave a comment and rate the podcast. Look at that plug. The Spotify app now allows you to rate the pod. So five stars, please. If you love what you hear, hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you are streaming. Yes, you can do it. If I did it, you can do it. <laughs> Before we continue, how have you enjoyed this holiday month? Myself personally or the lineup? Because bitch, this month has been stressful. <laughs> <laughs> the month of December is stressful. I want to say across the board for everybody. You got holidays, yes. you got work. For the both of us, there are plenty of birthdays within our family, yourself included. Mm -hmm. um, so the month of December is very hectic. Um, but even though it's been such a hectic month, I'm glad that we have, I'm so happy for the pod because it's been able to help like kind of keep me like somewhat in a holiday spirit. Cause I'm just like, it's Christmas. Same. I got to watch these Christmas movies and I got to have a jolly time bitch <laughs> it's time to get married <laughs> but i do want to state merry christmas everybody i completely spaced merry chrysler y'all merry chrysler merry christmas we hope that you had a very great holiday it's been a wonderful month watching all of these movies have been some of my favorite highlights talking about these movies have been a wonderful highlight thank yes. you once again to our lovely month's guest thank you the horror bandwagon sergio and cody we had a wonderful oh time such a blast Thank you again, everybody, for voting in my birthday pick. I thoroughly enjoyed. I had such a great time. Batman and Robin was our gayest episode. It was also our longest recording episode. It didn't come out to the longest aired episode that's still held by Hereditary. Ow. Miss Tony Collette, thank you. Cannot wait to, I will get to you, sis. She makes her triumphant return on this episode the sequel <laughs> so it's been fun it's been really great i really enjoy spending the holidays and just a forewarning for everybody if y'all hear bells it's not an edit ray's hat has a ridiculous amount of bells today they are in the full holiday spirit today it is it's the end of the season it's the not the end of the season well end of the holiday season i'm ready for it to be over bitch i'm so <laughs> ready for the holiday season to be over it's stressful it is stressful, but this has been a wonderful and pleasant time. Thank you, our listeners, for celebrating the holidays with us. It's been so much fun. 
Okay, okay, listeners, now, now, gather around the fire and make sure to keep it warm and hot. Bundle up and listen to our frightful Christmas tale. Be weary of St. Nicholas's shadow. Try your hardest not to lose your holiday spirit, for if you do, you may be receiving a visit from 2015's Krampus. And now, our feature presentation. Listeners, this horror comedy is available for streaming on The Queen of the Season. Season two's <laughs> Queen. Fubo. It's available on Fubo, everybody. Seriously. Got it. Who knew? We might actually subscribe. Please. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Chrysler Brigade. Fubo subscription. <laughs> Fubo's been coming through this season. Almost every movie we've covered has been available on Fubo. Apparently, they have quite the selection of horror movies. <laughs> My mom asked where to watch one of them, and I was like, it's available on Fubo. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, they need to start cutting us a check. Now it's time to get married, so let's head behind the dumpster in our Santa hats, and let's get <laughs> fucking toasty, bitch. Four twenty. what you smoking? What did you pair with this week's screening? This week's screening, I leveled up my puss, and oh. I got some very, very wonderful freaking weed this week. I smoked incredible bulk. It is an indica strain. It is a cross strain between, I want to say cheese and then something else. I know that sounds gross. Cheese? How, and Incredible Hulk. Yes. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. However, I haven't had this type of weed in a very long time. I'm talking the soft, the spongy, the sticky, icky Ooh. weed. Lay, uh, they thems and they theirs. If you get weed that is spongy and just kind of still sticks to your fingers, smoke that shit up. Listen to me and smoke that shit up. <laughs> smoke that shit up now for me. Smoke oh up, my Johnny. God. Smoke up, Johnny. It's delicious. It is delicious. The high is so clean. When I say clean, I mean that I'm blatantly aware that I'm high, but I can focus, okay? Do you know how hard it is to find weed like that? This is true. And usually <laughs> it's only sativas. My anxiety is too high for that. I can do sativas. Um... What did she smoke? Speaking of speaking of sativas, the other day I had um our, I still have our sativa glitter apple, but I had like a really good cup of coffee with that day that Ooh. morning. Bitch, the coffee hit, and I went on a cleaning frenzy. I swept, I dusted, I mopped, I moved the mats, I oh got underneath the table. That's when you know you really had time to clean that day. Is when you actually go under things and not just sweep around it. <laughs> Or sweep underneath the rug. Watch, Richard's gonna, te- gonna text you after listening to this week's episode. Rich, what do you do? You're not sweeping? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I like I said, this month has been very hectic and I didn't have time to go anything special. <laughs> I just have my stash that's gonna tide me over for the holidays. So I worked on my stash, which was totally fine because it's green and green is what? Festive. Festive. <laughs> well, while we are smoking this Christmas ham, for our last film of 2021, how did you watch this? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody needs to come up with a stray that's called Smoketown. Oh, my first introduction. I think you and I went to go see this together, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. Yes. yes. We did. Oh my God, yes. she remembered. Yes. Uh, I remember. Uh, I know we got very corn dogs oh. before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have, by the way, we haven't mentioned corn dogging in a very long time. Oh, that sounds disgusting. But, 
corn dog, if you're a corn dog, you got very fucking high because you're frozen like a corn dog, you know, because you're stony baloney as hell. Yeah. That's like, like an episode one. If you I was with us just forever, about to say one, honey. That's going way back to episode one, crumb blasted. That's uh, a classic. That is a classic ooh, right there. That's for oh, the yes. fans. We did go see this together. I remember our, we were hyped. Hyped mm-hmm, mm-hmm, to see mm-hmm. this movie because I finally started getting on board with the Christmas holiday horror because this was around the time that I finally started showing you Black Christmas 1974, Black Xmas 2006, and we were mm-hmm. really diving deep to making sure that we can get our bases covered for these movies. And mm-hmm. wham, bam, thank you, man. Our man Michael Doherty came through, and Jesus Christ, we were both. I remember after this movie, we were both gobsmacked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like you said we were we are big michael doherty fans from trick-or-treat is a huge like that's uh for at least a, his filmography that's my holy grail for him is Absolutely. trick-or-treat so i was a huge fan i was like okay if he can do this with like halloween you can only imagine what he can do with christmas just wait till you see what he does with saint patrick's day <laughs> ah, i wish <laughs> um and then tony collette hello uh. Super on board. If y'all had listened to her hereditary episode, y'all know we stand Tony Collette. This is a Tony Collette appreciation podcast. It is the Tony Collette show. I think it's episode three. I'm just kidding. I couldn't tell you. What <laughs> you know what? Before we just fully geek out, let's check out the VHS special features and find out how this movie was made. Krampus. 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 However you want to do it. Krampussy. <gasps> this is going to be my new drag name. <laughs> Please welcome to the stage. <laughs> Krampus. Krampus, released December 4th, 2015, with a runtime of one hour and 38 minutes. I think it's very clean. And we have a rating of PG-13. These taglines. Taglines. You don't want to be on his list. It's coming to town. You better watch out. When the Christmas spirit is lost, he arrives. Will you survive this Christmas? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That last one is literally just a line from a song. (laughs) These are too long. Um, I just, it's a weird... (laughs) Yeah. Those are Christmas horror taglines. Those, that's what. Those yeah. Are. Um. If I had to choose, like one or two, I guess I would say, "Will you survive this Christmas?" And maybe, and like, you don't want to be on this list. Those are probably my favorites at all of them, but they're not great, to be honest. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I think I would have gone more the like a new Christmas legend or uh, you know something because this is like the first time that the Krampus Krampus has been introduced to an American audience. Krampus is a legend, like in other countries, I want to say. This is the first time that we've had a big budget. Okay, maybe that's a better way to say Thank it. Thank you. This is the first yeah, time we've had a budget. big budget film presented for, by Universal Pictures. I know. You know, to a mainstream audience with big stars in it. So I would have, I just think, well, we'll get into it. Because there are definitely some things that would have changed. I found that very interesting. But like you said, we'll get into this. Our director is writer, director, and we have been dying to talk about them on this podcast. You don't understand. They've been on our list like maybe four or five times. Uh-huh. And it's always been shifted. 
Michael Doherty, director of the infamous Halloween modern classic, 2007's Trick or Treat, and my personal favorite, not personal favorite, my personal fun great time is 2021's Godzilla vs. Kong. We love, we stand. I love the writing. It's always so humorous. It's always mm -hmm. just like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And you can tell he is a total nerd and oh, yeah. loves loves making movies it's always so evident on the screen yeah i feel like they definitely create a fun experience on set because you can tell that they're very passionate about what they're doing very evident from their very like breakout film of trick-or-treat mm -hmm. um so i feel like everything that they do is always just there's like a lot of love and thought behind it. And it's yes. very evident in, at least, well, I haven't seen uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, but it's, and for me, it's very evident in both Trick or Treat and this movie. You can tell that it's made by the same director. Mm -hmm. Both feel like classic, like cards that you'd give out during Halloween. Yeah. Like, trick or Treat feels like those old vintage <gasps> oh Halloween God, They should totally cards. make Halloween cards and Christmas cards that look just like that, because they're wonderful. They're wonderful. Uh, our script is written by Michael, as well as Todd Casey and Zach Shields. Our freaking cast. Okay, okay, okay. We have MJ Anthony as Max Engel. We have uh, Adam Scott as Tom Engel. I have your personal favorite. Biggest crush on Adam Scott. He's so freaking cute. One of the best parts of Parks and Recreation. I love him in this movie, total zaddy. Literal, literal zaddy. <laughs> Welcome back to the pod, two-time TCQ alumni, the one, the only, Tony fucking Collette. Do you mind? Just go no. listen. Just go listen to our hereditary <laughs> episode because I love, I love Tony in literally everything that she does. Everything that she does, there isn't a role that she doesn't devour, even if she's on screen for two minutes. She devours up that screen and she does it for me in this movie. Everyone, honestly, everyone is fantastic in this movie, but I can listen to Tony Collette scream for hours. Hours. We know. We're going to turn our names to the Collette Queens. <laughs> we have David Cochner as Howard, Allison <clears throat> Tolmaine as Linda, Conchata Farrell as Aunt Dorothy. Rest in peace. What a wonderful comedian. She has the best lines in this whole movie. We also have Stephanie Levy Owen as Beth Engel, Krista Stadler as Omi, Lola Owen as Stevie, Queenie Samuel as Jordan, Maverick Flack as Howie Jr., Sage Hunfield as Baby Chrissy. And our monster cast is Brett Beatty as Der Clown and Luke Hauker as Krampus, our in-suit performer. Moving on to reviews. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm already looking at these scores. I know. <laughs> what the fuck? IMDb gave it a 6.2 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 49 out of 100. AV Club gave it a C plus. Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 66% on the tomato meter and a 51% audience score. Wow. No. Wow. I know. Let's take a pause. Let's take a pause and really talk about this for a quick minute. I think it's because this movie was hyped and people believed it to be like a hardcore horror movie. People yeah. were expecting this to be some really straight scary. horror. But what we got was this wonderful, legitimate Christmas movie first, family movie, comedic horror tale. And it feels like those old school classic 
like fairy tale stories that they used to tell children to scare them to mm-hmm. make them behave well instead of what like Disney tries to do. Like Disney tries to tell those tales but makes them like super digestible. This kind of dared to show leaned like, into the horror. Leaned into the horror. And I don't think people were ready for that. People weren't on board for that. No, people, yeah, like you said, I think people went inspecting, expecting, <laughs> expecting, expecting like straight horror, which is not but what it was. Um, but even Trick or Treat had like some very comedic, dark humor, dry humor, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I don't know. I guess like only nerds like us would geek out over the director and want to see their other filmography because if people just, I want to say educated themselves on what Michael Doherty was about, they would have known what they were getting themselves into. But I guess this, that's definitely asking too much of the general audience. Because I don't, these don't reflect it for me. We have watched but, four Christmas movies this whole month. This is my favorite one out of, I, I'm spoiler alert. This is my favorite one. One of which was Gremlins. And when I watched the BTS for this, Michael Doherty flat out like references gremlins like this the, he grew up watching he said he's a child of the 80s he grew up watching gremlins and th- this totally feels like gremlins no shade yes. no. but it's gremlins in the best way it's yeah, gremlins yeah. in the best way it our problems with gremlins was that it felt dated that it like some of the humor and a lot yeah. of the story basis was based around racist caricatures so it's mm-hmm. tainted and there's also parts where the dark humor didn't translate i'm looking at you like phoebe gates monologue <laughs> was kind of lost this leads into the comedic like dark humor so well so mm-hmm. well i don't like these scores they don't reflect it for me no, they don't reflect it for me either, but I also, I know, and we're going to get into it, I know this movie is not well-regarded in the horror I don't community, know why. and it's not well-regarded amongst Krampus aficionados, because sure. this, this is not accurate by any means. But honey, it's a fairy tale. Like, no, I know, but I'm just saying for like Krampus aficionados and... Like I've I've seen and heard people rip this movie apart and say like if you want like a real Krampus movie go watch, and they lit they list one of those like B movies all tea all shade and I really don't want to watch them because I love this this is really campy and sticky for me and that's what I live for that's what I look for in Christmas horror hello it's Christmas horror <laughs> it should not be taken seriously I yeah what I just want to state it really quickly because. If you look at the films that we've watched and the films that we love, are those 80s, campy, delicious, practical, effect-heavy movies. Mm -hmm. Movies that are made with love, movies that are made with a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, but also know when to turn up the horror like it needs to. Because this movie does that. This movie starts as a wonderful Christmas movie and slowly, especially at the end, just like tries to rip your guts out. Because this, I love this ending. Nobody likes this ending. I love this ending. I'll save my feelings for you. Oop, let's move on to production then. We have a budget of 15 million, which is totally stretched. I would have not guessed this was 15 million. I at know. all. This movie looks so expensive. We have a box office opening weekend of 16 million and a gross worldwide income of 61 million. It still made, it made, it made good bucks. It, I mean, hello, it made its money back opening weekend. I would be happy with that. I would say that that's... But production houses aren't happy with that anymore. If you're not making like Avengers $156 million money, like they don't care anymore. No, I agree. But it, people were tempted to obviously to go and watch this because it mm-hmm. made well back over its money. So sorry y'all didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh, not my problem. Moving on to the script. 
Being attracted to the dark, mysterious, and mischievous side to Christmas, Michael Jordan set out to make a film that would feel nostalgic films of the past. Movies like Poltergeist, The Dark Crystal, and Gremlins would be sources of inspiration, a true mix of horror and comedy based around an ancient creature known as Krampus. <gasps> and let's, do, let's go into a quick history of Krampus. Krampus is usually depicted as a hairy black or brown anamorphic monster with cloven hooves and horns of a goat with fangs and a long pointed tongue that lulls out. Believed to have originated in Germany and Austria, he's often the devilish companion of St. Nicholas. According to legend, while St. Nicholas rewards nice children with presents, Krampus beats the f*** out of naughty kids with yes. In certain stories, he is said to eat them or take them away to either his lair or to he is said to arrive on the evening of December 5th on Krampusnacht, the night before December 6th, which is St. Nicholas Day. You either awaken to gifts or nurse your wounds. <laughs> I love the like Scare folklore kids. of Krampus and how they're the like counterpart to Santa and they're here to take rather than to give. And they beat these children and take them back to their lair. It's amazing. I love this. I love it too. Apparently he's all he's supposedly predates Santa and predates Christianity. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole lore behind him, which I understand when you talk about how full fans of Krampus, which is a huge thing. This is mm-hmm. a huge this is a huge deal outside of the US. It's it's it sucks that I guess it just wasn't picked up in the way that I want it to. Because yeah. if you haven't checked out our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens, you can check out the literal seven foot Krampus that I made in front of my house because I love this character <laughs> and this movie so much. First of all, that Krampus is amazing. Kudos. Thank you. The way Krampus is depicted in the movie is not the way Krampus has been depicted throughout history. So mm-hmm. I think if anybody who went to go watch this as a Krampus aficionado, they would have been like, what the fuck is that? Because Michael Doherty really, I want to say, modeled Krampus in his film to look much more like a Santa shadow. He had very much still the colors and the face of like Santa and deviated very much away from this like demonic face. I don't know. We'll get more into it. I just, it wasn't my favorite take on Krampus as far as looks go. Like in the face, because it just deviated too far. I understand. I fully understand. And we'll talk about it when we talk about Weta because the, the Weta workshop made, oh my God, I got chills. I, the, the, the special effects, <laughs> the special effects. Let's move forward because I, I, I want to, 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 to gush as much as I can. For filming, filming would begin on March 12th of 2015 and wrap in May of 2015 in New Zealand. The opening sequence was shot on location in a single day at a department store. It is the only sequence that isn't shot on a soundstage because, excuse me, the sets in this movie were ridiculous. Yes, they were. Yes, they are. We must talk about the practical, special effects. We are talking old school techniques, costuming, puppeteering, animatronics, stilts, people. People are on stilts. Mm -hmm. They definitely stick to the old school way of of filmmaking. And it's it's our favorite. It's animatronics, it's practicals. It's It's in-camera. I was about to say it's using in-camera. It's using, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Thank you, forced perspective and shit like that. It's great. And that's how they're able to make that $15 $15 million budget stretch so much. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's filmmaking to its peak. I really love it because the artistry in the film truly elevates the material for me. The special effects wonder team of Weta Workshop would create the effects for this film. Also based in New Zealand, obviously. Our Krampus came from an initial illustration that didn't veer too far from the original design by Doherty. He is also an illustrator. Please check out his quick, short, like cartoon film, Seasons Greetings, which introduces us to one of our favorite horror characters of all time, Sam. Mm. Doherty was very adamant about a few key core designs, the horns, the hood, and how it framed Krampus's face and these amazing fingers. Mm-hmm. The fingers were fully anatomic extended appendages that would be attached to our actor, Luke Hawker's fingertips to accentuate his finger movements. It's so rad. It's so freaking rad. I saw, I want them. I want to make some for myself. <laughs> The robe is made of roughly 100 feet of fabric, mainly heavy fabrics like leather hides, chains, velvets, and even rope. The face sculpture is made of silicone and the beard was hand punched strand by strand. The entire suit was based around Luke's proportions to allow movement, acting, and some sort of cooling system and durability. On top of all this, Luke Hawker would also be on stilts that would have extended his hooves. The giant suit would have to be operated by him from from inside the giant suit, all through a tiny monitor that would be attached to a small camera on the mask from the outside. Luke would have to adjust to performing through a small screen, all while underneath pounds of costuming. We're talking close to 100 pounds that he would have to hold on top of him and move all the bravas <laughs> to Luke because I couldn't Im- this I couldn't imagine this claustrophobic terrifyingly yeah. heavy and hot costume that you'd have to wear and Luke's a little guy like he, he was is. like 5'8 pretty petite and he had to fit inside this huge costume that he literally needed to like help just to walk to set in it's it's insane and the fact that it you had this giant in person creature for these actors to bounce off of. Yeah. I, I can, for myself, I feel like you can really tell in an actor's performance compared to movies that we've seen with green screens. Like, it's really difficult for people to just react to green screens. This is why I love animatronics. I love it. You can't shoot it that way because it bounces off the light in the house instead of doing some like outrageous post shit. Yeah, I agree. And we love, we're practical queens. We love practical effects. And these practical effects are amazing. One of the more infamous animatronics is the blasphemous Cherub. The killer angel that attacks Tony Collette had to be controlled by up to six individuals contributing to the demented beast. For the teddy bear, old school puppeteering would be used. And we're talking like Muppet style of puppeting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The biggest challenge for the puppeteering would be the massive Jack in the Box or It would be split between three different actors in this giant suit. Two puppeteers would also be split amongst the body and tail, while the main portion would be played by Brett Beattie. So we're talking one, two, three, four, five. Five people all together controlling this giant worm, jack-in-a-box, clown, (laughs) monster. Monster. Thing. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's insane. The, the main like monsters that they have to fight off are great because they're like so demented good. looking like Christmas. the cherub the cherub looked like a demented looking tree topper the teddy bear was like a teddy rock spin from hell and then the jack in the box the jack in the box was probably my favorite <laughs> minion holy shit is that terrifying and the fact that he comes out of a 
we'll get into it but the fact that he comes out of that tiny little box and just like grows out of it is insane i love it i love it you don't really pay attention to it until you like re-watch this movie but the let's we mentioned the sets oh my god if y'all didn't hear us like fully geek out for batman and robin sets this is insane the entire neighborhood the house the street everything is a set on a soundstage. To mm-hmm. create the full sense of a nightmarish Krampus touching down into a neighborhood, the soundstages would go through multiple iterations and steps, from a snowplowed street to a full-blown snowstorm. Some shots, like you mentioned, would use forced perspective, using small items in frame and pushing things outward to create even more depth. It's insane. For the snow, many different methods were used. We're talking foam falling from the sky and then troughs being created and then stuffing it with what is essentially Ooh. diaper filling, which is like a super absorbent rubber to film the deep trenches of snow. This is, this is, this is magic. This is movie this, making. It really is. Cause I watched, the, I actually had time to watch the behind the scenes on this one. And it was great to see that they just had this humongous soundstage and built an entire neighborhood, neighborhood. and an ex- a whole full block and they were able to do so by, like we said, using forced perspective. They just made it look like the houses were far enough away and small enough. Some of them were facades. Some of them were just uh, printed. printed. Yeah, 3D printed facades of homes that they just stuck up on there. And they were able to give it depth by using like icicles on the front and flocking it with the fake snow. Bitch, I couldn't clock I couldn't, any a of single it. thing. A single thing. I didn't thing. clock any of it. I was like, before, like, if, if I didn't know better, I would have swore that they took over an entire block, bitch. I would have thought so, too. I was fully gagged. Oh, my God. This is the movie stuff that we love. This is the amazing shit that just, like, adds depth to your movie. Like, it adds a richness to your movie instead of, like, cheap shots. Cheap. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap. <laughs> Fun facts. We highly suggest watching the behind the scenes on the Blu-ray. The cast clearly had a wonderful time hanging out together. MJ might... I was going to call him MJ Michael. (laughs) MJ Anthony, our adorable lead, became Michael Doherty's devilish little assistant on set. MJ enjoyed pranks and was gifted a fart machine, fake bugs, and poop at the end of filming by Doherty. (laughs) MJ apparently pranked Doherty's assistant by wrapping all of his personal belongings in bags and gifted them to him. I actually saw that it was really cute. It's adorable. He's so cute. And I love that Michael Doherty was like, keeping him very much in the child adolescent because mm-hmm. that's what he wants like michael Dor- if it isn't evident in his filmography michael doherty is still very much a child at heart yeah. I think that's what he loves to bring to his film is like this child's perspective Wonderment. almost yeah this imaginative like land that he creates i also suggest watching the gag reel fucking hilarious uh-huh. this cast is fantastic full of comedians that really know how to just ad lib and it's wonderful to watch mm-hmm. i agree the the gag reel the extended scenes the deleted scenes i highly recommend all this and then just recently they came out with the naughty cut so if y'all have not seen this go out and get the naughty cut i haven't seen it yet don't know what's in it but it sounds amazing I'm definitely going to buy it. Are you kidding me? It's a special collector's edition Blu-ray. I'm here for it. <laughs> now, before we begin telling our naughty Christmas tale, let's go make some peppermint schnapps and get merry when we go mm. to our ad. We'll be right back after these messages. Our movie opens in our favorite way. 
With a frozen over universal and legendary pictures logo with strong wind effects blaring, transitioning into it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We get a montage of scenes from a department store highlighting how capitalism and consumerism have ruined a once sacred holiday. Our montage ends on a holiday recital gone wrong, centering around our main character, Max. He's beating up local bully, Ben Kalinsky for telling the kids that Santa is just a marketing ploy made up by Coca-Cola. <laughs> the family arrives home to Grandma Omi and her spread of homemade Christmas cookies. Sarah, the mom, and Tom, the dad, argue with Max and the morality of his actions. His sister, Beth, chimes in with digs at Max, asking why he cares so much. He replies with, someone has to. Okay, let's talk about this wonderful opener. I also want to mention, Michael Doherty has stated he originally wanted to have the old 80s Universal logo play instead of this Frozen logo. And mm-hmm. that would have been the most wonderful way to clue into your audience what type of movie you're getting in for. However, I still fucking love the shit out of these Frozen logos so much. <laughs> so much. I'm a sucker for it. I'm such a sucker for like- Same. Building your world before your story even technically starts. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's a great key into like, like it's from the jump, you're immediately engulfed. Like we're already taking you out of the real world and dropping you into our world. Absolutely. Especially these opening sequences. Honey. Honey. I have never seen a better imagery used on the screen of what it's like to work customer service for the holidays. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, as we both stated, we work in retail and food service, so we know very much what it's like to deal with people during the holidays. I have worked many a Black Friday sales, and that was a perfect depiction of consumerism and capitalism at its worst in America. I have seen the face of the devil. It takes form in Target customers. <laughs> Holy shit, bitch. I love this. It's just like an explosion of comedic gags, beats. Someone's getting electrocuted. Someone's getting ran over. Someone's getting robbed. There's, it's <laughs> wonderful. I love this. And it's, it's all LA right to- now, actually. <laughs> and it's all played to Bing Crosby's rendition of it's beginning to feel, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh-huh. I love the juxtaposition. It's perfect. It's so great. We've mentioned before the use of Christmas music in the movies and almost every single Christmas movie we have talked about. I will say this is my favorite use of Christmas music in this movie. It's a pretty close second to Black Xmas because Black Xmas really turns up like creepy Christmas. This uh-huh. just plays regular Christmas music, but uses it in an unsettling way. This is great. I have to counter that. I kind of want to say that Gremlins did a better job with do you hear what I hear? I understand. But I, I this is like a close second for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with all the shots of people fighting, people getting hurt, the security guards tasing people. It's <laughs> unfortunately, it's, so it's, it, it's very fun. But it's also unfortunately very grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just a great opening scene. And for those who didn't enjoy it, if you didn't get what this movie was about from this opening scene, I don't know what to tell you. Because this should have set you up for what kind of movie you're about to get. It's tongue in cheek. It's going to be a dark comedy with like horror undertones. Because if you're not scaring the audience from the jump, that means it's not like, a horror forward movie at least in my eyes i will back those sentiments of horror first movie because i will state this movie starts as christmas comedy and it stays that way for i want to say maybe until after the dinner fight 
mm-hmm. then we finally start dipping into horror. And I, I love those types of movies, that genre shift and tone shift, because this opening shift is wonderful. We also get this moves into after our wonderful fight in slow motion. By the way, we immediately go into the house and we're watching the 1938 version of A Christmas Carol. And it's the scene of Jacob Marley, a ghost of past coming forward to tell us you're going to be visited by creatures. Are you kidding me? Come on, <laughs> foreshadowing. This is the foreshadowing that I love. But this is great. I The opening sequence I love because we've mentioned before, drop me in. Just drop me in. I want to mm-hmm. be dropped in. Don't spell it out for me. I love this family. This family is so recognizable. And I think that's why I love this movie. This is the holidays. This is what the holidays are like. Literally. It was, it's great. And MJ is a wonderful, adorable lead. Come on, he comes in with the line. I was under the influence. All I had to eat was brownies and candy canes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Christmas cookies and candy canes. Christmas cookies and candy canes. It's, deli- it's delicious. I love all of this. And Tony Collette, how could you be the most perfect waspy, dry, and uh-huh. wonderful Frigid in bitch. This movie. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, bitches. It's one of the, it's a very uh, natural way of introducing us to our cast. The rest of the family scatters to handle separate matters and Max stays in the kitchen with Omi. She asks if he's finished his letter yet. He says he doesn't know what to ask for. After hearing Bath and Sarah arguing in the living room, Omi tells Max that she thinks he will think of something to ask for. We get to Beth and Sarah hanging their new Christmas portrait on the wall and arguing about sharing spaces with family members they don't even like. Beth storms off to her room. Back in the kitchen, Max and Omi are still talking Christmas. He asks if she still believes in Santa and she states that she does, but she also believes in dessert before dinner. Back in Beth's room, she's FaceTiming with her bubble butt boyfriend, Derek. Ew, he's like 17, who lives four (laughs) blocks away. He tells her to sneak away and tempts her with a really cute Christmas thong. Just as she tells him she can't, the entire house begins to rumble and shake with the arrival of extended family. (laughs) Period of time. That's the true nightmare. That's the true horror. That's the real horror of this movie. Which we and you are very familiar with, because holy shit, hold on, quick tangent here. For those new listeners that don't know, Nick and I are family. Nick is my nephew, I am his uncle. This bitch used to come over many a year for Christmas time and invade my personal space. Them and their entire family used to come and invade my household, and it was very much the dinner scene from Krampus, 24-7 chaos chaos honey. <laughs> there's just too many people in a house and that's what this feels like i yeah. think it's i think it's great i think it's great hold on i want to finish the story beat before we really start diving into this family after okay. some great foley design of the family arriving in their huge hummer we are introduced to howard and linda with their kids jordan stevie howie jr and little baby chrissy and bringing up the rear is surprise guest Aunt Dorothy and Rosie the dog. The sisters argue over Aunt Dorothy's existence as the rest of the family disperses. Anytime, all of the group, all of the group scenes are some of the best line deliveries. Everybody is just at the top of their game Uh delivering these lines. Yes. (laughs) Hold on, we're we're jumping ahead. Go back. Um, So uh, Beth and Sarah arguing while they're hanging the Christmas uh, portrait. Amazing, hilarious, loves it. I'm I'm pretty uh, impressed that 
I'm sorry, I forget the actress's name. That I'm pretty impressed that Beth is able to like match, keep up with all the yeah, to keep up with all the comedians in this movie because there's some pretty heavy hitters in this cast, and the kids kind of hold their own. Uh, all they get this is what? <laughs> this is what I mean. This cast is wonderful. I don't think I'd enjoy this movie nearly as much if I didn't enjoy all of these actors. Honestly, just having a good time. Everybody looks like they're having a great time mm-hmm. giving these lines. I agree. We also get more interactions of just the family. I, some of my favorite stuff are the interactions and the slow beats of this movie because it really grounds the movie. When Beth is talking to her mom about her mom's sister coming to town. Last year, I found shit in my bed, mom. Human shit. For the last <laughs> time, that was their dog. That's why some people shouldn't be allowed to breed. Your words, mom. I, I never said that. I said that they should take a test before they're allowed to breed. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I love it. It, it, Like we said, it's it's dark comedy. It's dark comedy. It's dry comedy. And it's Tony. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can deliver like our good Judy Tony. Mm -hmm. I've never seen something depicted in a movie that, bitch, I related so hard to. When that house is rattling and every single member in that house is just like... Here we go. Because Tony Klett gives, she's amazing. It's also, I love it. She's, she's putting the final touches and on the stockings, putting the candy cans. It's Christmas. The family, prepare yourself. It's just two weeks. It's just two weeks. We can get through this. Oh my God. Hello, everybody. Showtime. Bitch, that is, that is the holiday mood. That is the mood. She's a perfect waspy rich woman who is just saving face. I live, I live, <laughs> I live. This is, I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and praise all of this because everyone knows what this movie is, especially when everyone starts dispersing and like having little family moments. This is what it's like when you see your cousins and you don't talk to your cousins. Okay. What did yeah. you ask Santa for this year? A toy car? Video games? A new phone? Dialysis? What did he say? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, dialysis does not work in this context. It doesn't work in this but I get it. But I get it. I mean, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Poor Howie Jr. <laughs> but that kid does a deadpan like so well. <laughs> the drool. It's the drool for me. What is with Michael Doherty and loving a blonde, curly, chubby kid who yes. doesn't speak? Yes. <laughs> he was very much that kid who got uh, the poison candy. MVP. Everybody's, I mean, Tony is the team captain, but the MVP is not Dorothy. As she should, correct. Freaking Dorothy. She has the best lines. She comes in and I love everybody's reaction of, oh, fuck. Bitch, you don't even see her yet. All you do is hear her. Ugh, would it kill you to shovel a walk? I almost broke my hip out here. And Everybody has this man. aunt. Everybody has this Thea. I'm I'm that aunt. I'm that you Thea. You are the Thea. You're totally on Dorothy. Roll it through with my fur coat and a joint in hand. <laughs> Come on. Come on. And then she also gives probably the best line, and I know it's in almost every trailer. Do you want to give it? Christ, looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. Martha Stewart! <laughs> you are on Dorothy. That is something you would say verbatim. Yeah, but I would also appreciate it. I'm a production designer, and I would totally appreciate because that set is stunning it really is it really does look like uh martha stewart picture uh it's stunning though bitch i appreciate it is it okay i also want to mention i just feel like aunt dorothy would totally smell like white diamonds by elizabeth taylor like she just smells like (laughs) 
she would smell like an antique store. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's the off off brand. She got a TJ Maxx, Kmart. We join the entire family at the dinner table where Howie Jr. is having a one-man belching contest oh. alongside his dad who is having a one-man pissing contest. <laughs> the rest of the dinner continues with passive-aggressive comments and Sarah runs to the kitchen to hide and finish dessert. At the table, Stevie and Jordan continue to tease Max over the fact that he still believes in Santa. Sarah returns to the dining room with dessert in hand just in time to see Max go apeshit on the girls after reading his letter to Santa out loud to the entire table. After breaking up the scuffle, Max yells that he hates Christmas and he hates all of them and he runs to his room. Tom goes up to check on him and they have a discussion about family and obligations during the holidays. Tom leaves Max to cool off and Max cools off by tearing up his letter to Santa and throwing it out the window. His actions bring forth a huge snowstorm that knocks out the power. We have a theme. We have a theme on this show because another one of our favorite movies is August Osage County. If you haven't seen it, I would suggest it. It's Meryl Streep and Gulia Roberts acting to perfection. I am running things now. The fuck does that mean? Why? Why do we love chaotic and dramatic dinner scenes? Because this whole dinner scene is acting mama. This is an acting class. I love everybody. Everybody came to play. It's an acting class. It's a directing class. It's a cinematography class. I can't tell you how many times in film school, a lot of our like assignments and drills were centered around like a dinner table because that's the best place to kind of just have your actors do whatever the fuck you want them to do. It could be comedic. It could be dramatic. It could be scary. It could be anything happening at that dinner table. And really everything happens at this dinner table right now. (laughs) I think it's because everything always happens at a dinner table. There is something about being in a communal space in a closed confined space where you're elbow to elbow that forces your characters to really mesh. They are forced to, to, there's conflict here because this is the whitest, most backhanded compliment, (laughs) big, uncomfortable (laughs) conversations I've ever seen. It really is. This is great because at one point I love when the sisters argue because it feels like sisters arguing. I, uh-huh. th- that's what boggles my mind. I believe this family. I believe this family because at one point they're all complaining about Tony Collette's beautifully perfected dinner. Be careful kids. Remember that your aunt likes things to be clean and perfect. That's why she makes you food you can't pronounce. <laughs> well, I thought you'd like a break from macaroni and cheese with hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's the look. It's the look that Tony Collette immediately goes, like immediately to her husband. Who hasn't seen that? Who hasn't seen the wife go, say something. Say something uh-huh. to her. Say something to her before I say something to her. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I want to say my favorite part is when Sarah, aka Tony Collette, finally storms off to the kitchen to go finish dessert. And she's finishing the creme brulees. She just mutters to herself, mac and cheese with hot dogs. <laughs> Next to her, Gravlex. How dare they? I don't know what the fuck Gravlex I don't even are. Know what that is? But I what want some. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uncomfortableness. It's the family obligation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just gonna lay it out on the floor. That's what makes the holiday so difficult because sometimes you do not get along with your family, but there is an obligation to be around them, hang out with them, be there with them during the holidays, and this is like a great like capture of that because that is the bad parts of the holiday that is the uncomfortable parts of the holiday Mm -hmm. but this movie is so cool in the fact that it is a classic christmas movie because you have to learn a lesson about christmas but it makes it so scary and terrifying that it forces all of these characters to have to deal with it 
It's great. It's so good, baby. Oh, this is great, baby. Put it on a check. Put it on the plate. I will eat it, devour it <laughs> any day, any day. Because it's also used as a device of Max's letter being told. And it is so heartbreaking. It's like difficult and uncomfortable. And you want to know why? Because we moved to handheld. You know you're getting emotional when there's a handheld camera. That's true. Because they got to get all up in your face. They got to get up all in your face. How do you feel about this? Like, this is the breaking point. This is when everything happens. Right. So really quickly, like leading up to this point, we've had, I wouldn't even call them backhanded compliments. They're just straight up yeah. being rude. Digs and insults. Yeah. Complaining about the food and how this fancy food backs up Aunt Dorothy and yada, yada, yada. So everybody's just being very fucking rude at this point. And so finally, the little bitches at the table, Stevie and Jordan, had somehow got their hands on Max's letter to Santa. And at this point, they just kept teasing him at this point, and Beth keeps holding him back. And finally, this is like the breaking point. They pull out the letter from Santa. It gets real quiet, too, when she starts reading off these things. And it's sad, really, because obviously Max still believes in Santa. And he's such a, like, sensitive character that he genuinely, like, cares for everybody else in his family and he doesn't even ask for materialistic things he asks for relationships to be repaired he wants a better relationship with his sister he wants his parents to like love each other again he wants his like he wants his uncle and aunt to not struggle anymore (laughs) i want to say the cherry on top (laughs) hold on before you say the cherry on top these characters aren't even we've talked about queer coding before this is just like over blanket of like they're lesbians but we're not going to say they're lesbians they're just butch mean characters <laughs> mean lesbian character is some of my least favorite like caricatures in movies and i kind of don't mind it in here only because their sole purpose is to stir the pot honey they're just here to cause the drama but mm-hmm. please give us deep the it's it's so fucked. it's so fucked. <laughs> It's just a, screw you, dad does not wish we were boys. <laughs> and then that's when Sarah comes out, who wants creme brulee? <laughs> and it's it's dead silent. And then from the dead silent, it goes to chaos, bitch. And it's loud. They turn up the sound design on the scene. And it Max goes apeshit on the girls, rightfully so. Uh, goes apeshit, gets the letter back, and just like goes off on everybody and says he hates. It's very much a scene from The Grinch, how he hates everybody and he hates Christmas and he throws it to his room. And I love when they try to go chase after him. And then Dorothy's like, oh, just lay off him. Kid deserves a prize just for telling the truth. While she's drinking her eggnog. Hero. Iconic. Our hero. Iconic. This is, it's really, really good stuff. Like, uh, MJ is a fantastic actor at such a young age. He, you, mm-hmm. you hit it. He, his character's innocence and seeing it like pushed to the edge because this family is so separated, it hurts. This scene is uncomfortable and it's really sad. I just get so pissed at Beth because she doesn't defend him. She's just like, don't start anything. You're the big sister. You're supposed to come in here and tell those little oh, I know. fucking butch lesbians well, to shut the hell up. <laughs> but also... The parents have been telling them the whole day about obligations and the family and just it's to keep things civil. It is toxic. It's 100% toxic, but you know that this is the way families are, especially is- during the holidays, bitch. 
The next morning, Max awakens to see a very creepy looking snowman has made its way to their yard. He comes downstairs to find his parents frantic about what to do with all of these people stuck in a house with no hot water, no electricity, and according to Howard, no food. <laughs> At the front door, they receive an artisanal cheese and wine basket delivery. With Linda signs for it, she also finds a huge red bundle of gifts waiting for them on the porch. And Howard brings them in. Beth comes down from her room in distress, stating that Derek hasn't texted her back in over an hour, and that's just totally not like him. She asks for permission to walk to his house to check on him and offers to see if anyone else has power on her way. Her parents are all too eager to let her go out for a walk four blocks in a blizzard and let her go. Beth heads out into a blizzard as she makes her way down a nearly unrecognizable neighborhood. She sees a huge figure standing atop a house. Krampus. He howls when he sees his victim and Beth runs in fear. As she makes her way down to the street, Krampus leaps from rooftop to rooftop and stride with her. Beth runs over to the DHL delivery van only to find the corpse of a frozen delivery boy. She seeks refuge under his van from the howling Krampus who is still pursuing her. As she waits in the snow underneath the van, two hooves land next to her. The pair of hooves make their way around the van and eventually taking off into the sky, leaving behind a small jack-in-a-box that suddenly attacks Beth. Wow. Me wow. Wow. Me wow. (laughs) So, we're back at the house. This snowman. This is kind of like your first sprinkling of horror because this snowman is horrifying. This is when the wonderful creature design starts like sprinkling and like Mm -hmm. edging its way at the door. It's really sick. I also agree. I fully agree. My parents would never. My parents didn't even let me leave the house, period. What makes you think that you're going to walk four blocks in the fucking snow to go see your bubble butt boyfriend? Exactly. I know. Just no. They were just like, she just wanted to get high. She's like, I need to get out of this house. I need to go smoke a bowl. I feel that, bitch. I feel that on a very religious level. But Tony Collette was just like, uh, I don't think this is a good idea. Okay. And then Adam Scott just like, no, she's she's good. She'll be okay. Listen, daddy said I could go, so. (laughs) Daddy, chill. But this is when we get our first reveal, or honestly, not even a reveal, just like portions of Krampus. And it's not just that he's a massive, like, eight-foot creature. It's how he moves. This bitch moves fast. This is a big bitch. It's a huge bitch. (laughs) The way it just leaps and bounds is terrifying it's terrifying how do you feel about this we're gonna talk about it death not death yeah yeah (laughs) um so yes i love our first like glimpse of krampus it's horrifying you only you don't get the full reveal yet silhouette you only get silhouette yeah they're off in the distance and you get the a great chasing that's horrifying the death not death is great I think it's a good first one. Yeah, because all you get is the jack-in-the-box on the ground. You get this great tension build by the, you know, little wind-up. It's totally a cliche, but I love it. The little wind-up jack-in-the-box, and it pops open. Nothing comes out for, like, a beat. And then all you get is just, like, the very tippy-top of the hat, maybe. Like, it comes down to, like, maybe the forehead, if that. And then Beth screams, and then, like, that's when our scene cuts. Oh, actually, no. You see the van the shaking van and Russell. everything. Uh-huh, and then it scene cuts. So you get like a death, not death. It's good. It's good for the first kill. I'll give it a pass. I think it's a good setup. I think it's like building to it. But I, we talked about Der Cloud, Der Host. <laughs> he starts off as just this little jack-in-a-box. Uh-huh. It's our first glimpse of Der Clown, and it's just the top of him. So I only got this after multiple watches of this movie. I didn't know that was Der Clown. I didn't know that he grows in size depending on how many people he eats. Like that 
blows oh. my mind. He starts off as that little jack in a box and he eats, quote unquote, Beth. Uh-huh. And that's how he's able to get bigger and get to the attic. And then, spoiler alert, he gets the girls later on and he keeps growing in size. I think it's such mm-hmm. a wicked detail. I just wish that it was kind of, I wish it was kind of shown more. I I, I had to do investigating and rewatching, which is fine. Like, I don't mind that. But I think that detail is is really neat and it could have like flourished a little more. Yeah, it could have been implied more. Yeah, because it goes also for Krampus's design. And I want to save our feelings for Krampus's design when we finally fully get to meet him. Because you have, I know you have a lot of feelings. Back at the house, Tom and Sarah have an intimate moment with each other when Max interrupts with his worry for Beth and the fact that she's not home yet. Tom and Howard team up and decide to take Lucinda, his Hummer, out to look for Beth. That's when Omi jumps in and begs for Tom not to go outside. She says that it's dangerous. He ignores her wishes and heads out. The duo only make it about a block out when they come across an abandoned snowplow. They get out to investigate and discover that the front windshield has been smashed in from the outside, looking like they dragged the person out of the car. They arm themselves with the guns that Howard packed and set out on foot to look for Beth. Back at the house, Sarah and Linda have lit a dangerous amount of candles around all these (laughs) kids and are reminiscing about their childhood Christmases. The family begins to hear weird noises in the attic, followed by a very large crashing that shakes the entire house. Sarah chops it up to just being squirrels and the family moves on. Back outside, Tom and Howard have made it to Derek's house, which is in shambles after, quote, gas line blue. They also discover things like a stabbed gingerbread man and hoof marks left at the scene of the crime. Just then, they hear screams from Beth outside, and when they run outside to investigate, something attacks Howard from underneath the snow and attempts to drag him off when Tom shoots them off. When they make it back to Lucinda, they discover that she's completely destroyed. Things start ramping. And I love the ways things start building because they get so creepy. But let's talk about the one of multiple. It, this movie has quite a bit of them. Of How do I explain it? it it's just a moment for a, a, a breath before things start getting very chaotic and hectic. And it builds to the relationship, especially for Sarah and Linda. I can see why people don't enjoy these parts, but I think these parts are necessary. I really enjoy that they talk about like traditions from Christmas and their passing of their mom. And they have this moment amongst this nightmare because it's really awesome. It is. And I think, I think it's genuine because I think if people were really put in that situation, they would reminisce and they would think, on you know on past Christmases and that's kind of what the holidays are about is about getting together and kind of remembering the good times creating new memories you know and Howard even says it in the beginning you know that you know we're ready to make some Christmas memories like that's essentially what the holidays are about and I feel like a Christmas movie like this especially one that Michael Doherty was so inspired by movies like Gremlins and shit like that it needs an emotional beat it really does because these moments feel real because family drive you fucking crazy but those connections and these moments remind you why that your family and i think it's such a neat juggling act that michael does really well because right after this moment and the squirrels see squirrels right <laughs> probably playing with their nut <laughs> there's not a moment missed of like okay we had our emotional beat here's a comedic beat and then we go straight into some of the coolest f-ing sets because seeing this house taken by this snowstorm and like it as if it like fully uh-huh. just like a blizzard breezed on through. I think it's such a neat design. I love this Derek's house, how it's in shambles. 
I love the amazing imagery of the cracked chimney that Krampus broke on his wake, squeezing his fat ass down that <laughs> chimney. Where you're going, fat ass? It's great. I love all the imagery. I love the stab gingerbread man. I want to go on a quick tangent really here because Krampus made an appearance at Horror it. Nights as a maze. I knew she was going to bring in Halloween Horror And Nights a lot of this was in it. A lot of this was in it. Like the broken chimney... Uh, the gingerbread man scene. It was so well done. Um, so a lot of this just like harkens back. Like it just reminds me of like actually walking through a maze that was based on Krampus was amazing. It's, a, it's completely sick. And we get some like ploys from Jaws used. It's a show like we're going to tell you that something is attacking Howard, but we're not going to show you these creatures. Yet. Oh, yeah. We still <laughs> actually don't even really get to see these creatures. No, we never see it. I think it's the elves. I want to say it's the elves. The uh, tensions rise and Listen, I am a sucker. I am a sucker for this very particular shot that happens in a lot of ensemble pieces. Tom shoots, we cut, and then all of a sudden, the group back at the house all react to the sound of the gunshot, and I'm a sucker for a full group going, <gasps> what? It's just, <laughs> it's just one shot of a full group. I'm sucker. Sucker for it. I think it's fun. Fun sucker. Fun sucker. At the house, Sarah is getting ready to head out and look for the boys when they come crashing in the door, frantic and frightened. The parents ask Aunt Dorothy and Omi to take the kids into the kitchen and keep an eye on them. Omi's only instruction is, keep the fire hot. In the kitchen, Aunt Dorothy teaches the kids how to make peppermint schnapps, which is just her adding liquor to her Swiss Miss. Yum. <laughs> in the living room, the parents are arguing about what to do. They ultimately decide to hunker down, wait for the storm to pass, and then make a break for it, and the family settle in for the night, all sleeping in the living room together. Max talks to his dad about Omi, stating that she's been acting different ever since the storm. And Tom explains that she always gets weird around Christmas, but never talks about it. He tells Max to get some sleep and joins his family while Howard takes the first shift, keeping watch. We then cut to him falling asleep on the job, and as the iPad that they use fall is playing music and finally drains its battery, we hear chatter and ruckus coming from the rooftop and attic. The fire is finally died to a dull glow, and a huge metal hook is lowered down through the chimney. Attached to the hook is a gingerbread man. The aroma of the cookie is enough to wake Howie Jr. from his sleep and tempt him into eating it. When he takes a bite, the cookie comes to life and ties the chain around Howie. The cookie then gives the chain a tug and it begins to pull him up through the chimney. Sarah awakens from all of the ruckus and leaps to help. The rest of the family is quickly awakened and chaos ensues, even engulfing the Christmas tree in gifts and flames. The men offer Sarah help, but they ultimately lose the battle of pull and tug and Howie is pulled up and out of the chimney, only leaving behind a single shoe. The family tries to process what just happened when Omi lights the fire back up and begins to tell the tale of her first encounter with Krampus. Woo! Sarah's about to head out because she hears the gunshots, and that's when the men come barging back in, it's, frantic it's, and it's, frostbitten already. It's so chaotic, and you the tension is so strong in this moment because Howard does not... Do, he can't connect the dots that like he's just too much in shock. And uh -huh. I love that Tom comes in because Tom was made and ridiculed earlier for being a boy scout and being prepared for situation. And Howard being Howard. The gun toting person that they are. Republican that they are. Oh, I wasn't going to say it, but you did. Believes in like, oh, I've got my gun and my gunshots and we're going to. So when all of this happens and the tables are flipped and Howard cannot handle this stress, it honestly for me, freaks me out because I can't imagine what it's like being a parent in the situation. I can barely mm -hmm. handle myself, but then all <laughs> of this chaos happening and having to calm these kids down, I think is such an excellent beat move that we don't normally get to see in horror movies that deal with family. Like the actual chaos of like 
we can't let the kids know that they're probably going to die. Like, we, we can't let them know that this is happening. I think it's such an excellent emotional beat because Tom steps up and isn't hot. Uh. Oh, yes, Daddy. Oh, my God. So they, they tell Aunt Dorothy and Omi to usher the kids away into the kitchen. They can't Give hear me the about line. this. Give me the line. Oh. <laughs> what? Me? Why me? I don't even like kids. Even when I was the one. <laughs> All right, mm. come on, kids. I'm gonna teach you how to make some peppermint schnapps. You are except, I except you were teaching him how to pack a bowl. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, kids. First, we grind up the nuts. <laughs> you pack your bowl tightly, and remember, you never scorch the greens. Because <laughs> greens, you know, greens are the greens of the bowl. Everybody, Shut up. please. Please go listen to our 420 episode. Don't, I did not nearly get enough Don't love. do it. It's so fun. But listen to Ray try to describe what greens are. Listen, we were stone, bitch. We were stony we were baloney. Stone. That was the highest I've ever been on an episode. Okay. The the chaos ensues. They make a plan and they finally fall asleep. It is the the probably the quietest moment we get in the movie when everyone is resting. It's, a, again, I have to say, a wonderful use of music. I think mm-hmm. this dietic music where you are aware of what's happening. Diegetic. And once, diegetic, sorry. This diegetic use of music is wonderful. And once it cuts, I feel the tension. Do you feel the tension? Do you feel the tension in the room? Because you're waiting for something to happen. And the fact that mm-hmm. it's the gingerbread man from Shrek 2 is hilarious. <laughs> Not the buttons. Not, Not the my gumdrop buttons. buttons. And how he is taken. And we get, honestly, I probably counted it four full minutes of Tony Collette screaming when she's trying to drag Howie out of that chimney. <laughs> I love when like she finally fully gets in the chimney and she's trying to yank the chain down and she comes face to face with the gingerbread man who like literally like wails in her face. And she, when she realizes it's the gingerbread, gingerbread man screaming in her face, she gives this like horrified screech. Because honestly, like if this movie is quote grounded in reality and you came face to face with evil gingerbread cookie and what the <laughs> f- is that oh it's so good this the chaos ensues honey because I, the a, a log rolls out of the fireplace and lights everything on mm-hmm. fire so that's on fire a kid's getting snatched the baby's crying rosie's f-ing barking it's just too f-ing much <laughs> Bitch, it's Christmas Eve at our house. What are you talking about? It's too real. And this moment is when everyone, this is the first time everyone starts understanding that shit's not right. Shit's not okay. We also this get shit's what, not right, dude. This shit's not right, dude. <laughs> we get one of, another one of my favorite shots is when Tony Collette lets go of Howie and she honestly is just so freaked out and she crawls backwards and the camera just zooms mm-hmm. in on her. Tony man all she has to do is give me a look and I'm like yes bitch yes bitch. one single tear and you're already like a, she's an academy award winner she's an award winner I stinking love I love it we get a really well animated short of a young Omi and a traumatic Christmas she had as a child she tells a story of a town and her family that had forgotten the meaning and spirit of Christmas she wished for her family to go away and that Christmas, instead of St. Nicholas, she got a visit from a much more ancient spirit. Krampus. He dragged her parents to the underworld, but left her behind as a reminder of what happens when hope is lost, when belief is forgotten, and the Christmas of spirit dies. Really quick, because I know you're going to gush. I want to give my thoughts. Please. This is great. 
I love this animated scene and I love, 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 love in a movie when we change mediums of storytelling. We went from cinematic to animated and it's so well animated and almost at first I thought it was uh claymation paper, like stop motion paper puppet type of thing and then when I rewatched I was like oh no this is legit animation um and I love when films do this to give you a backstory to tell you yeah to give you backstory because what I'm reminded of is of the new Candyman and how they did it with the paper puppets and the lanterns to tell the story of, yeah. of Candyman. I love when a movie can do that because it it takes you out of the film for a minute to give you of some information that you need to propel the story forward. And mm -hmm. so I love that we, it kind of can take you out, be like, this is what's going on and then plop you right back in. Because it doesn't linger too long. It doesn't yeah. stay too long. And, and I think Doherty just understood Christmas classics. Hello, he was referencing like Gremlins, and I'm sure he was also referencing Scrooge because I also get some Scrooge in here, which I um, with Bill Murray in here. But we needed some classic Christmas cartoons. This is a total homage to like claymation holiday classics like Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, and it's mm -hmm. it's so cool to see it told through like a heartbreaking tale. It's you you quickly remember that this whole movie is a morality tale that mm -hmm. it, this is teaching children the spirit of christmas and this is it's so wrenching it's it it really takes i love movies that aren't afraid to take a pause we're going to take a quick pause to feel <laughs> this emotional beat to uh -huh. propel you forward like you said it's great it's great however quickly once the story was done and everyone's feeling the emotional beats and everyone's just at a moment of loss. Well, that's just a crock <laughs> of shit. <laughs> and that's why this feels grounded in reality because it's true. Can you imagine going to like family Christmas and Uncle Joe's, some crazy shit happening. And then like one of your tias being like, everybody gather around the fire and I'm going to tell you the story. Uh, you're so Llorona and why she's here haunting this house like what the fuck no i'm getting out of here <laughs> it's wonderful and i think omi tells it beautifully I, it, like you said it's beautifully beautifully animated it it's necessary i'm gonna say it's necessary for those people who don't like it f off f off it's christmas because <laughs> we cut back to the family in the living room and howard doesn't believe a word of her story and attempts to leave the house to look for his son when he opens the door, they all discover there are multiple snowmen invading their yard as elves cackle from the shadows. And standing at the porch is Howie Jr. encased in a snowman tomb. Sarah slams the door shut and tells them to keep it closed. Max asks what they're going to do and Tom responds with, Keep the fire hot. The kids sit around and ask questions on how to rectify the situation, to which Omi replies in German, in the kitchen, Tom devises a plan while Linda takes the half-burnt gifts to the attic to rewrap. Just as she's about to unearth some Krampus gift, Sarah asks her to come downstairs. The parents discuss Tom's plan to get to the snowplow and go to the local mall for some fun shopping. Back in the attic, some of the gifts can't wait to be unwrapped and make their way out of their packaging. The twins, but not twins, make their way upstairs when they hear Beth's voice coming from the attic. They go to see where it's coming from when they're attacked. 
Quickly, Tom, Sarah, and Linda go to help the girls when they discover the gigantic jack-in-the-box has eaten both of the girls. After shooting at the jack-in-the-box, he manages to get away and the rest of the minions make their attack. Linda fights off an evil teddy bear with razor teeth. Sarah is attacked by a demonic cherub and Tom is taken down by a possessed robot toy. Back in the kitchen, Howard is fighting off gingerbread men armed with a nail gun. He's about to fight them off with a shotgun and kills off the last one with the help of Rosie. Howard, what a total, like, I'm going to say it, white Republican response of, I don't know, I'm scared, I'm going to go shoot something. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> like, it's awful. I really don't, I, I think the only reason why I don't like it is because he plays that character so well. But it's also the yeah, only character I've ever seen him play. Like, I <laughs> love this much. actor. He's the same person in everything. And waiting, yes. Um, I also love the reveal of all the snowmen on the yard because they're fucking mm-hmm. creepy. They're fucking they're creepy. creepy. I love the reveal of Howie Jr. revealed encased in a snowman tomb. With it's horrifying. Hat, it's just like a... Ch- it's very he even looks creepy. sad like him, too. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, it does. Also, hello, Tony. How can she, how, how? I just don't get how you have like the, 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 that bitch quality that all she does is breathe hard, close the door and says, don't open the door. And I'm like, yes, yes, ma'am. Right away, ma'am. Never again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Um, I do want to mention Aunt Dorothy's line when they're trying to figure out what Omi's saying to the kids and they're asking her, oh, yeah. what is she saying? And she says something in German. She's saying you're fat. How do you know? Because I'm old enough to know when life's coming at you with its pants down. (laughs) (laughs) The comedic one-liner, she does not let up for a single second. Every moment she's on that screen, she's got something to say. Oh, I forgot to mention the schnapp scene. Apparently, when she was teaching the kids how to drink schnapps and Howie Jr. takes a sip, the MPAA almost gave this an R rating because they were worried about the depiction of a kid drinking alcohol, and they refuted with, so it's okay if a kid gets eaten? <laughs> but kids drinking, that's over the line. That's over the line. I hate the MPA. We've talked about them too much. The girls, the girls, the poor girls. They're trying to go to the bathroom. Poor Aunt Dorothy gets in trouble because she's like, I think they went to the bathroom. You just let them go? Was there another option? <laughs> For real. Like, what? We can shit in the, shit the street. I shit, shit, shit in the street. Okay, but tell me if you've heard this one before. Some gingerbread cookies, a cherub, a robot, and a teddy bear walk into an attic. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but this is like, so I don't really get, this is like the maybe one of my few gripes with this movie is I don't get this voice mimicking thing. Like who was doing this? I think it was Dirk Clown. So the Dirk Clown can talk. I think it can, so. It can mimic things. It's a parrot now. It's a Mockingjay. Oh, you're so stupid. Yes, it's absolutely Mockingjay. Uh, I think it's your clown. Does it matter? This lives. Yeah, it does. It matters to me. This lives within the Hunger Games universe now. What the fuck? Oh my God. Are you just going to see Katniss? Da, 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 da. <laughs> you want to talk about Tony screaming? Because she screams again. Poor Tony, man. No matter what movie she's in, she just has to scream. She screams in every single movie she's in. Does she deliver? Because they talked about filming this scene when Der Clown is revealed. It was apparently a full day of them just reacting to this giant thing because it just takes so much to move this guy. Uh Wonderful. It's the music. It's the reveal. It's the the cherub's reveal. The cherub's reveal. <gasps> the cherub's reveal is amazing. You want to talk about reveals? This oh. is a reveal. It took 
me. It took six puppeteers to puppeteer that little cherub for that reveal. It was great. Drag queen, drag race wishes they could. <laughs> it's amazing. It's Tony Collette being attacked. It's the tongue in the ear. I hate anytime <gasps> there's a tongue in an oh, ear in a movie. So really quickly, that is my favorite thing about movies. Like, so when you can do something that's already outrageous and scary. So in my opinion and in my head, when I first watched this, the reveal of the cherub is amazing. It finally mm-hmm. flies down and it attacks Tony Collette. You're totally engulfed in this already horrific scuffle that's happening on your screen. And then just to amp it up even more, they added the slithery tongue because it gets real quiet for a second. And then when she pops up the tongue, the music shift changes. It's like, it almost like it's psycho music where it's like, because <laughs> it's just like, it's heightened even more. And that tongue is horrifying. It's, genuinely terrifying we haven't talked about it but this music this music oh my god the orchestra the carol i love the version of carol of the bowels it's like krampus is coming it's amazing all of this Mm -hmm. is just hitting every single beat i love when shit hits a fan i love when things are chaotic and this scene is just bonkers we get that wonderful uh kermit the frog teddy bear attacking yes linda linda the robot attacking tom it's the tension is just off the walls bonkers and we finally get linda coming through getting her mom strength when she sees one of her Mm -hmm. kids getting eaten comes through gets an axe takes this bitch down gets tony collette down from almost being choked to death by christmas lights come through black axe and then and then we she tries to come through and she almost gets her she would have saved her daughter if she didn't stop for a one-liner hey give my kids (laughs) back you you fudgers yeah um, but also you you forgot about the uh, epic death of the teddy bear because she killed she knocks down the teddy bear by getting an icicle from that was whatever there's icicles in the attic she grabs an icicle and stabs that teddy bear through the eyeball and this just green ooze comes out it's sick you think they're done but they're not and we'll, get sequel, honey. we'll get to her in a second i love the set piece the set piece is insane and i can only imagine trying to shoot this i'm sure this took like two weeks Oh, I'm sure it took a long time. And then what bothers me more than anything, though, is that back downstairs, Howard's having a hard time finding off some cookies, 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 honey. You couldn't eat one, bite one. The dog ate one. So that bothered me. Whatever. It's fun. I love this. Coming from a guy who's like, I can take anything down with my gun. I'm like, really? You can't hit them with the shut. Whatever. I have problems with Howard, but it's fun. It is a lot of fun. I do love the gingerbread men. They're a lot of fun. I love them with the nail gun. And they're just a lot of fun. I love their cackling and laughing. I love that they're just there for a good time. To they're total gremlins. have some Christmas mayhem. Yeah, it's totally. Total, it's the Gremlins mom kitchen dinner scene. Like it's exactly what this is. It is. I didn't even think about that. The last thirty minutes of this movie do not stop this sleigh ride. This sleigh ride is going downhill. The brakes have stopped. There's no. And we're going handle. off the rails. Honey, you've got a big storm coming. Because we finally finished on our fight in the attic. Linda fights off Teddy Ruxpin and stabs him in the <laughs> eye with an icicle. She grabs an axe and cuts down the string of lights that the cherub was using to hang Sarah and smacks the robot off of Tom's back. And just as she goes for the jack-in-the-box, he squeezes his tiny ass in the air ducts. Tiny. The family finally meets up in the living room to fill each other in on what's going on. Howard releases Rosie into the air ducts and hopes that she can fight off the jack. 
Instead, he eats her up and ends up crashing through the air ducts, landing in the middle of the living room with the rest of the family, releasing all of the undead minions. Aunt Dorothy, armed with a shotgun, finishes off both the bear and the angel. When she goes in for Jack, a loud horn blares, and the front wall of the home is crashed in. Omi exclaims, they steal baby Chrissy and chain up Aunt Dorothy and the Jack and take off into the night. Howard jumps on before they can take off in an effort to save Chrissy. Should I continue? Yes, just go. <laughs> the, the remaining family members are ready to move forward with the plan. They hear Krampus land on the rooftop and make a quick getaway. But Omi stays behind to face Krampus once and for all. She waits for him in the living room. And as he makes his descent down the chimney, breaking and cracking the walls on his way down. He makes his grand reveal in the living room where he exposes his huge sack to Omi. Ow. Ow. The sack is filled with his minions who drag Omi inside. Holy shit. Holy. This house is destroyed. This set is gone. Don't worry about this set. It's gone. It, <laughs> oh my God. The calamity, the insanity, the buffoonery that is... Der clown breaking through the ceiling. <laughs> Aunt Dorothy arming herself with a shotgun, Terminator style, yeah. shoots the teddy bear. They launch the cherub and she knocks that sucker out. That's when Mr. Freeze pops through and chill. Oh my God. Chill. Bye. That was last episode. You had your fill. <laughs> I just, I don't buy the fact that, like, why would you stop? I wouldn't have stopped. I would have kept going with the shotgun. I would just be like, story beats don't look for logic we just had gingerbread men this is true so we get a reveal of the elves and they come crashing through that wall bitch and this is one of the designs that i didn't quite enjoy i i wanted a little more i wanted them to be more elf like they didn't look like elves to me because they were all hiding behind these masks which were dope don't get me wrong i'm not dissing all of the amazing work that this uh, production company did on all these effects. But to me, they didn't look like elves. They just strayed a little too far from what like a typical elf would look like. At least give me like elf ears or a little hat or the, the shoes or st something, something that harkens back. Cause it, it was giving me like, I don't even know what it was giving me. I think it's because every other monster in this movie is so detailed and monstrous of iconic images of Christmas. The gingerbread looked like gingerbread. The angel looks like an angel. The robot's a f***ing robot. The elves stray too far to this, like, I want to say, like, post-apocalyptic, like, ritual elves that they designed. <laughs> and it's a wicked design, but I wouldn't have known it was elves unless Omi told me it was mm -hmm. elves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where it fails. I, I agree that this isn't a bad design. I love the masks. You probably could have kept the masks. It's just, I wanted I wanted more Elvish. Give me more Elvish. Mm -hmm, Give me some Lord mm -hmm. of the Rings vibes for it. Yeah, because they also had like hoods and chains. They were almost too Krampus-like. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I just needed a little more Elf, baby. A little more Elf. A little more Elf. I also love on Dorothy's last line in the movie. See you in hell. <laughs> <laughs> the noise. It's a, it's a sound effect where you it's so good. Howard just goes. Like, I'd, Howard's gone. Like, it's just gone. But, and when they do, Tom gives the iconic line of, oh, crap. <laughs> so good. It's so good. But this is where the movie 
becomes super, I'm, go- I'm gonna use the word depressing. Like the reality of doom sets in for this family. Like there's no getting out of this. Doom is approaching and they honestly kind of have this vibe of like, there's nothing they can do. All we can do is run because Omi sacrifices herself and Tom mm-hmm. almost goes back into the house. I love Omi's decision to just deal with it. I, I, I'm gonna deal with the, the monster that she, I think she believes she brought back. I, I just get those vibes from Omi, even though Max also reveals to her, I think that I'm the reason why Krampus is here. She's like, no, no, Christmas, you know? <laughs> well, I think Max definitely summoned Krampus, but when Krampus came back and I was like, oh, Omi? Is that Omi, the one that I gave a free pass to 60 years ago? Oh, bitch. Max, it's his turn to get a pass. I'm coming for your ass. It's it's okay. You let's talk about his reveal because I genuinely still get chills when he comes through this chimney. This mm-hmm. chimney reveal is it because it's so epic. It's so quiet. You just get the grumbling and wonderful foley again of the chimney breaking. And it, what the moment is for me is when the music swells and all you see come out of that chimney, besides his hand coming through, is the his horns. horns coming out first. Epic! Yes. What? What? Because yes. this is the first time we finally get an up-close, detailed look of everything. Yes. I will save my feelings for it. I really truthfully want to hear how you feel about this design. So I agree with you all the point up until the reveal of the horns. This Mm -hmm. reveal is epic. This is our final reveal of Krampus up close and personal, the movie with Michelle Pfeiffer. Hello. So I, I love that this reveal, there are a few key elements that Michael Doherty stuck to with Krampus, the hooves, um, the horns and like, I guess the eating and taking of children. That's all he really kept true to Krampus in my, as far as looks wise, mm-hmm. because he strayed, whoever designed it, and actually it was him who designed it. He strayed too far away from the source material and the tongue, he kept the tongue. I much more wanted to keep the demonic kind of face, the almost mm-hmm. beast-like quality of it, because mm-hmm. he went, in my opinion, it looked like he tried to make a shadow or an opposite illusion of Santa, which technically what Krampus is, yes, but I much more enjoyed the demonic beast-like look of Krampus rather than just looking like an evil Santa. Because if I mm-hmm. wanted to see a scary, spooky Santa movie, I could watch an evil Santa spooky movie. I want to see Krampus. I don't want to see a dark, I don't want to see bad Santa. That's essentially what Krampus was. <laughs> I, You know what? When you bring this up, those are all valid. That makes complete sense. However, I'm on the side of, I love this shadow, like dark version of Santa. This is another one of those instances where it's not explained. It's the face that is given to Krampus isn't his face. It's a Mm -hmm. mask of what people think Santa is. Because when they do close-ups, the eyes are fully behind the actual mask. And what you see is that demonic, red, creepy eyes, that, mm-hmm. that that goat-like face is underneath there, but it's hidden behind this image of Santa. And I like it because it gives the, this impression that Krampus is playful. He loves this shit. He loves being this terrifying version of, Kramp- of Santa. He's wearing the red, he's wearing the hood, but he's devilish and creepy. And I like that version, but... I fully see where people come from. And like, if you're calling this a Krampus movie, give me 
Krampus. Don't mm-hmm. give me your artistic interpretation of yeah. what a shadow Santa is. I get that, but I still think it's really striking. I think it's very visually striking. It's not Krampus, but it it's is. striking. It is. I will give you that. And like I said, I don't want to take away from the team that created Krampus because it is stunning. The costumes, the makeup, the effects, all of it was A1 top Mm -hmm. tier. I'm just saying, if you're going to call it, like you said, if you're going to call something Krampus, I don't want you to stray too far away from the source material. Or if you are, give that reasoning. I didn't get that from that. I didn't get that this was like a facade and that the real Krampus face was behind this mask that he was just using to kind of inch his way easier, like a more digestible way for people to digest Krampus, I guess. But I didn't get that from that. I needed the explanation. If we could have had, before Omi gone away, like him taking the face and removing it and maybe not even seeing it, we cut but just him removing it, I think it would have forgiven everything for you. I think mm-hmm. that would have been the moment where you're like, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Uh-huh. But we, did, uh-huh. we didn't get that moment. So I understand. I fully get it. Like, it would have been dope if he would have, like, you would have seen the big hand take, like, slowly take off the mask. And maybe you got maybe about, like, Half 30%, 30% off where you saw the furry face and then you saw the long tongue come out that's all i would have needed to know that the real krampus was underneath and that this was a facade mm-hmm. and it would have it would have i think it would have excused a lot of people's like gripes with this so i, mm-hmm. I get it i fully get it outside the survivors are trying to make it to the snowplow when they're attacked by unseen assailants in the snow the first to go is tom who stays behind to shoot off as many snow beasts as possible the kids make it to the snowplow but the moms are unfortunately taken away just as Max struggles to stride up the snowplow, more elves come and drag Stevie off. Max manages to fight off his elf and push them into the snow where they are dragged off by an unseen snow beast. Max makes his way out of the snowplow where he is approached by Krampus. He drops a souvenir bell for him wrapped in his ripped letter to Santa and disappears. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I want to talk about all of this really quickly. Everyone's acting here is just top notch i have this is to another emotional beat yeah a major but and we wouldn't this wouldn't feel so impactful if we didn't have those small moments of how we're talking to tom telling him i'm sorry i was such yeah. an ass to you that that would get you stepped up that sarah and linda had that emotional beat that we this wouldn't have worked because they all excellently went from comedic and light tones to deep and just depressing and distressing <laughs> shit because when tom sacrifices his family for him it's the i love you keep going but it's mm-hmm. it's the moment that he closes his eyes right before he's uh, taken that uh-huh. kills me when the mothers are taken and all you hear linda tell sarah is take the kids i uh-huh. legitimately i legitimately still choke up every single time i watch this movie and it the line that sends me over the edge mm-hmm. is know. tony because it's Linda gets taken off and we hear her scream. It's chaotic. And we just hear a (laughs) on Sarah's leg. She just looks at Max. There's no noise. And all she delivers so calmly is, I love you. And she's taken off screen. And I'm I'm a baby. I'm in tears. (laughs) Because this whole scene is just this family trying to survive. And then all she can do in that moment is still try to comfort her son. Like Mm -hmm. that, that... (laughs) <laughs> how how can this movie go from making me laugh hysterically, scare me, and then make me want to cry? This is excellently executed. 
And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's because we had these other emotional beats earlier in the story with uh, Beth and not Beth and Sarah, well, Beth and Sarah as well, but Linda and Sarah, and then Tom and Howard, Howard, and and they we kind of skipped over a little bit of them, but they gen they had a story arc from the beginning to now, and I think that's why these emotional beats work is because you can you see that story arc and those character arcs and actually in my opinion it makes you feel for them obviously we're fans of this movie so we both felt for them mm -hmm. and in my opinion they delivered and it's such a great emotional beat it's wonderful it's wonderful it's nothing but like praises to this whole team this whole team this wouldn't have been done without every single person at their at their top i uh, mean oh, no <laughs> All tops. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're quickly snatched back in because, you know, she gets snatched under and they have to keep going. They have to like, they have to go. They have to go. So Max is trying to start the snowplow. And when he does, it alerts the elves that somebody's still alive and they come and drag one of the two. It's either Stevie or Jordan and drag her out of the car. And the other one tries to drag out Max, but he ends up like knocking them over with the door, Damn, which was smart. Down. And it's hilarious because the elf succumbs to the snow beast and it gets dragged off. Which still doesn't make sense to me, but it's fine. And then we get our reappearance of Krampus and we deal with something we didn't mention because it's beautiful style. When Omi was left as a child, Krampus gave her a gift of this ancient looking bell that has mm -hmm. Krampus and a whole bunch of other stuff on it. It says like Gus Van, Gus Van Krampus, which is, I guess, Krampus's real name. Sure. And then, <laughs> sincerely, Gus Van Krampus. And then it's gifted to Max. I thought the movie was going to end here. Imagine if the movie ended here because it cuts to black. Krampus gives him his bell it does. and it's just like da 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 da. <laughs> but Max makes his way back to where Krampus and his minions are saddling up to head back to the underworld. And we get great shots of his herd of giant demonic <sighs> goats that he uses as reindeer and his awesome gothic looking sleigh. Max interrupts their celebration, angering Krampus, and he opens up the portal to the underworld and dangles Stevie above it. Max pleads, asking for his family back, saying to take him instead. He sheds a tear and Krampus collects it, seeming to have had a change of heart, only to laugh in his face and drop Stevie to her death. The rest of the minions cheer and Max is picked up and dropped to his death as well. And our film cuts to white. This is great. 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 This is quite, this is like the final girl moment almost. Mm -hmm. And this is Max coming back and he's had a change of heart. And he knows what the true meaning of Christmas is and he just wants his family back. And so I love when he comes back up and he goes, hey, asshole. And bitch, that's when Krampus goes off. Dude, that, that, is a that is a trigger word for Krampus. She turns around, she's huh. like, who are you calling an asshole? And so- Here, you want a prize. <laughs> And so uh, he wants his Christmas family back. And so he uh, he says, take me instead. He sheds a tear. And that's when Krampus goes up with his really gross fingernail and collects that single tear. And for a split second, you really do think that like Krampus is like, oh, okay. Like in exchange for your sacrifice, I'll, you know, I'll take, I'll give you back your or family and I'll you take you offer instead. to sacrifice. So you really learned, like everybody was Max quiet. learned the true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> like it's, it's a great fake out. I love this mm -hmm. fake out. I think especially it's because so everybody funny. laughs at him, and they fucking toss these kids without thinking. That's probably why we like this movie. We mm -hmm. love movies where they attack kids and kill the kids. Kids are on the menu for this movie. I love. <sighs> we just really quickly geek out over the demonic sleigh 
the demonic, um, sorry, herd of reindeer. That we only get a few shots of. It's- I know. I cannot imagine how much they spent on this. Thank you. You know, they spent so much time building not only the the demonic reindeer, but that sleigh bitch, that sleigh slayed. <laughs> it's wonderful. It does suck that we only get a few seconds of it, but I love that we only get a few seconds of it. Cause it's like, nope, this is world development, but you don't get any of it, honey. You don't get <laughs> For shit. Real. Max awakens in his room on Christmas morning. He runs downstairs to discover all is well and his family is still alive, including Omi. They celebrate and begin to open presents when Max opens his gifts. It's the bell Krampus gifted him as a reminder. The mood quickly shifts and our camera begins to slowly pull out as we get sound bites of all of the horrible things that happened throughout the movie. We pull out from the house to discover they're trapped in a snow globe, forever trapped in Krampus's lair. <gasps> Almost like a Twilight Zone uh, ending. Thank you, yes, those were in my nose. <laughs> I love those types of endings. The Okay, how do you feel about this ending? I'm satisfied with the ending. Uh, I think when I initially watched it, I didn't really care for it. I wished it would have just ended with everybody going to the underworld and being taken over by Krampus. Uh, I remember that when we first watched it. Um, but the more I watched it, the more I appreciated this very ambiguous kind of Twilight Zone ending. I know. I, I fully understand that. Can I also have to say, or Dorothy, again, her last line in the movie, I forgot. It's not, see you in hell, it's this one. Max says, oh my God, you're all alive. Barely. I haven't felt this hungover since the Pope died. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Catholic. I do, I do agree that when I first saw this movie, I was like, oh, this is the ending. I grown to enjoy it more because it is such a warm fuzzy feeling of an ending it's a christmas movie you deserve it as an audience member you grew to love all of them you saw all of them die but not die and you want the best for them mm -hmm. so okay i brought it up because i i want to talk about it because there's contention with this movie the movie's ambiguous ending has spawned into two different types of fan theories. That one, that the Angles and their family are trapped in the snow globe, condemned to repeat Christmas morning for eternity in a twisted version of the underworld or hell. Or two, they were given a second chance and the snow globe is Krampus' means of watching over them. Although yeah, writer-director Michael Daughtry also refused to confirm which theory is true, which I like, let like someone come up with their own ending. The mm -hmm. tie-in comic book, however, The Shadow of St. Nicholas, confirms that the happy ending is the true one. The comic has murdered characters resurrected without any hint of a twist, showing that Krampus is willing to give people a second chance as long as they prove they've learned their lesson, like... St. Nicholas. But unlike his grandma, Max was brave enough to confront Krampus and proved he'd, er he'd learned his lesson, which is why Max had his family return and grandmas didn't. So Daughtry says that the latter is a little bit more cynical, but probably a better interpretation. Which do you mm. prefer to consume? I like the they're forever trapped in the snow globe in Krampus's lair. And I think that's a really fun ending. I... I guess it depends on my mood. It depends <laughs> on my mood, which ending it is. Um, I'll, I'm, I subscribe to both. I don't think either of them are a bad ending. I think a nihilistic, no. like horrible ending sounds great. If they learn their lesson, awesome. But this is yeah. fun. But we're finally at the end of our movie and our last movie of 2021. What are you going to give this movie? How are you going to give your final score? Ooh, so this movie tends to bring up arguments in the horror community. I know a lot of people don't like this. It's not for every. It's very polarizing and honestly, yeah. much like a lot of the other movies that we cover. We always cover polarizing movies because we love bad movies. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna have to buy it because I fucking love this movie. It's we so both good. love 
have stated our love for Christmas horror. We dedicated an entire month to it, but it was fun. It was so much fun. And this is just like, in my opinion, not uh, one of the like peak campy fun Christmas horror, dark comedy sleigh rides. So I buy it. I buy this movie. I own it on Blu-ray. I want the new naughty cut edition. So if anybody wants to get that for me, I need it. What about you? Are you going to rent? Are you going to return? Or are you going to buy? But let's face it, we all know you're going to buy it. So say it. I am absolutely buying <laughs> this. Are you freaking kidding me? I am not afraid to say that this is my favorite horror holiday movie, period. Because I think it's a beautiful love letter and blending of horror and comedy. And most importantly, it takes itself seriously as a Christmas movie. And I think that's what some of the holiday horrors that we we've mentioned this this season don't do they forget mm. they're just like it's a setting this is our setting yeah this however fully envelops itself in a christmas movie there's drama there's dynamics there's a lesson learned it's a really fucked up morality tale and that is my favorite shit um also tony collette did you think i wasn't gonna buy it if tony uh. was in it i'm buying it just for her <laughs> always So we just want to thank you for gathering around our store for the holidays during our sleigh bells month listeners from killer pets to sadistic little shits from having hilarious guests and enjoying the trek through the horror filled snowscapes. We want to thank you from the bottom of our cold dead little hearts for joining (laughs) us during our first year as a show. Thank you for sticking around and having some fun during the holiday seasons, but the Queens will be taking a two week break and we'll be back on the third week of January to celebrate a very special and renowned member of our society. (laughs) Me! (laughs) It's my birthday, y'all. It's Capricorn season. So... Birthdays are a very special occasion here at TCK Video, and we get to go off the rails and choose whatever we want. Although I didn't go off the rails that much. I wanted to do something. You went off the rails completely. Uh, I stayed much more close to home, and we are touching on a director we have not touched yet. And I'm dying to, dying to excited talk about representation right here and we'll mm-hmm. get into it when once we get into the movie but they are a personal hero of mine and uh wow queerdos i have chosen for my birthday special pick 2007's one half of the grindhound special robert rodriguez's planet terror are y'all ready for a grindhouse exploitation fun fest I am so excited. I am so excited. I was juggling between a few movies to choose. And quite honestly, they were quite polarizing. They're all they totally were. different. They we were had all a lot of discussions. Different. We had a lot of discussions. But I think I'm not going to announce the other choices because I might want to use them for further birthdays. But uh, this is what this is what made the cut. And I'm so This is going to be a freaking good one. This one's a blast. Holy crap, is this one a blast. It's such like a blip in pop culture and I'm so excited to talk really? about it. Really? It really uh, is though. And so stoked. But before we end this week's, this year's episode, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in every week, for talking with us, for being here. We know that this year has been incredibly difficult. This pandemic has been wild. We're still in the midst of it. There's another surge, but the fact that you tune in every week, that you want to come in and enjoy just an hour and a half of ridiculousness and fun. (laughs) Honestly, 
is the best thing in the world. So thank you for the best Christmas present listeners. I adore every single one of you. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into season two. This isn't, I feel like we're ending season two. This isn't the end of season two, y'all. This is the end of season two. (laughs) We're just taking a break. But thank you for this premiere has been very solid. Y'all let us come back with a vengeance. And thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I'm so excited to take this much needed break and come back for my big birthday celebration because it's going to be so much fun. I'm going to, I'm so excited to cover this. I was such a blast. If you like what you hear, please keep up with the Queens on our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. We can't afford the the, maybe gift it to us for Christmas. Ow. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. That concludes this week's episode, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for making this a wonderfully spectacular holiday season. Stay safe, stay queer, and stay messed up, y'all. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy we'll holidays. Happy New Year. Woo! Bye 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 bye.